isn't God always good? No matter what the world says, no matter how, if they're going to try to change our history, we know that God has been with this nation. Amen. And look at the world. I just heard recently that, um, you know, this nation must be something special still because people are coming, trying to come in by the millions. So there is still something special to this land, isn't it? God has given us something here. We're not better than the rest of the world, that's for sure. But God did something special here and has used this nation instrumentally for the world, hasn't he? For this world. Amen. Well, I just want to get into his word. Who's ready for some word today? Who's here ready to, for me to talk about Jesus? Is that okay today? Are we allowed to talk about the word, talk about Jesus and his church? I just want to talk, last week I was talking about manna. Who's aware of manna? Who knows the word manna? An Old Testament word. Manna, what is it? It was a uh, supernatural frost of sorts that God rained down and put it like a dew, right, uh, that you have out in those cool mornings that we're having now. And he put it supernaturally on the ground for the Israelites to be sustained through their wilderness. Who remembers the history, right? Came out of Egypt. They cried out to God. God says, I can take care of you. I have something for you. In fact, actually, God was kind to them because he said, I heard your complaints. So he was actually kind to them uh, because uh, God could have been harsher with them. But he said, I heard your complaints and gave them this supernatural substance. They said, we don't know what it is. And they, and they called it manna. And they would gather it up uh, each morning and they could make bread with it. And so I just want to refresh a few points uh, from last week, and then I'm going to move from there. Firstly, I want to get this point about manna. We got this uh, right from the Old Testament, and then it's talked about again in the New Testament, but pushing the two together, Jesus talking about it in John 6, us talking about it in Deuteronomy 8, and says uh, basically that God made them gather every morning. Who remembers what happens if you try to gather too much? You tried to gather yesterday's manna. What happened? It rotted. It stunk. God wanted them to have something for today. God had something for them for that day. And the next day, he wanted them to come and get the manna again. Amen. So what was the point to this? It taught them to depend on God. Everybody say, God wants us to depend on him. He doesn't want us to come in, especially not once a week. But God even doesn't even like every other day. Isn't that funny? Some Christians are sustained on one Sunday a week or even every other Sunday a, a, a month. Two Sundays a month is their, is their sustenance. Some Christians, it's Easter and Christmas, right? That's their sustenance. That's it. That's the manna. And uh, maybe a little bit of Christian radio here and there that they can bear. Uh, and maybe a devotional here and there. So, But God really, that's not what God wants for us. It's not healthy for us. It actually, as I want to talk about today, is dangerous, in fact. So God wanted them to depend on him just as he wants us to depend on him. What else did the manna teach us? Well, it says that it taught them to be diligent. Everybody say, be diligent. It was to be diligent with what he gave them. Now, God did it supernaturally. It was nothing that that they could do. They could not manufacture this. And that was the whole point. 
is that God is a miraculous God. God is a supernatural God. And there is a part, and this is really what we're going to get into today. I'm going to review a little bit more, but I'm getting ahead of myself, and that's okay. Is that God has his part, and we have our part. I want you to say that out loud. God has his part, and we have our part. Now, God sits upon the throne, right? The Bible says that heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool, and yet... Little tiny man, David says, who am I, that God even considers me, right? Who am I? Little tiny man, little tiny nothing in the scheme of the universe. You know, I love those videos. We can, you can watch them on YouTube where you ever watch them where they just keep zooming out further and further and further in space and earth just becomes literally microscopic in the scale of the, of the universe. And God cares. If, if the earth is microscopic, then what are we? We're like on the subatomic level. And God cares so much for us, and not only does he care for us, but the way that God designed his kingdom was that as big and as powerful as he is, this little clay that he breathed life into was to carry the kingdom within them. That's us. We're to carry the actual presence of God within us as temples on the earth and to represent him. He is God the Father in heaven, and we represent God on the earth. Amen. So there was a diligence that was needed because it was supernatural, yes, but it also required something of them to go out and get what God had given them. Now, that's that's an interesting thing. People have argued throughout the ages of grace and works, right? There's this big, giant, it's literally been a 2,000-year-old argument of grace and works, right? We see it right in our Bible talking about the two, really, uh, topics that are not really separate, but work together, right? And, and so... Uh, our outworking is because of his grace. God has showered his grace upon us. And so I work not to earn it and not to prove it, but out of response from it. Amen. Who gets that? Right? So there is grace that I can't get, just like the manna. You can't make it. I cannot manufacture the supernatural part of God. But there is a response from me that was to go out and gather up what God had given so that then I could use it for his glory, really. It was to his glory that I was sustained, that we're sustained by his manna. And ultimately, to, to what is it doing? It's furthering. We could look into all the implications. You could spend a lot of time really digging into it, but it's to further the next generations, right? And to teach them to trust in God. They were watching, and then that generation, as the old generation died, that next generation had seen God was faithful, right? And that needed to be instilled in them, that God is their dependence. And so the second point that I want us to remember, and I'm obviously adding in some new things here today, is that number two is that it was more than bread. I want you to say that out loud. It was more than bread, right? Deuteronomy 8, it tells us that God was leading them. He was humbling them. He was testing them. And he says to prove their character, to find out whether or not they would obey his commands. It actually says, yes, he humbled them and he let them go hungry. Deuteronomy 8.3 says that God let them go hungry on purpose by design. God is not a cruel God, 
But God is a good father, isn't he? Isn't God a good father? You know, it's the old saying, you could teach, you could give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. You teach a man a fish, he can eat for life. God is a good father, right? And so when he does things that seem harsh to us, it's because we are immature children. <laughs> That's all. We just don't understand yet. And what he was teaching them was character. And that's a humbling thing, isn't it? And the testing is not to test us and say, well, let's see what you can do. And let's see how good you are. That's not the testing. But it's to reveal our flaws, to reveal ultimately our need for him so that then we would turn to him and depend on him. So verse 3 says he actually let us go hungry, but God is good, isn't he? He doesn't just leave us there. He wants us to be hungry so that we would actually desire him. Remember, the temptation was in their hunger, let's just go back to Egypt. The temptation was, let's just do what's easy. I can just go into the world right now, and I can get any pleasure that my soul desires instantly. Anything that I want, anything. I mean, it's funny when it, I don't understand it, I, and I guess because I've been a believer so long, but it's funny that there's this underlying morality to the world that they can't help it because God's still here, because they, they don't realize that God is still in the earth, even if they don't want him. Because if I was in the world, you know, why not just go rob a bank? Like, why does the world even try to strive and work for anything? If, if, there is, if there's no purpose, and all they did was just evolve from an ape, and nobody and nothing matters, and we're just going to cease to exist, then who cares? Isn't it interesting? They can't even help it that God is actually, if they'll, if they'll open their ears and open their eyes, he is, there's that, that morality even in the world of, well, that's not, you know, that's bad people do that, good people don't. Jesus said, you can't define good and bad without the word of God. Only God is good. That's not an argument that they can figure out, but something in them tells them something's not right about that. And I always find that interesting because I'm like, well, man, it's hard for me to even process because I couldn't imagine doing something so evil, you know, breaking God's heart and, and, and living like the world. But if you're going to be in the world, then you might as well be in the world. And so the temptation, though, is around us to just go and get what you want. And, you know, you can still see that, though. I think that that's where we're going to get to eventually. I think everybody will just go rob the bank because we're starting to see it in traffic. Who sees it? Who sees Satan? <laughs> He's in traffic already right now. It's just me, myself, and I. I tell my kids every time, and this is defensive driving, right? I, I just said it this morning. I said, I'm going to watch for him because he's not going to let me go. I'm going to let him go because I know he's going to go. But he's not going to watch for me because he's not even thinking about letting me go. You know, it's just, there's a selfishness in the world already. And, and the enemy is obviously fueling that. It's a, it's a human thing. We can't blame Satan for the human part, but Satan's fueling that human part, right? Whispering in the ear, you, yourself, and, and I, right? And uh, so God wants us, though, to see this need, to have this hunger. He lets us be hungry, but that we would not try to fulfill it in the earth. In fact, some people have to go really low and hit rock bottom till they discover those things don't satisfy. And ultimately, what God is doing and allowing is so that we see God is actually giving us something free. There's actually something freely given from him, and all we have to do is just go and get it.
And it's right there. And so that was the purpose, really, of manna. And getting ahead of myself, because it's point three. So this is going to be 2.5, and then we'll get into point three. Is that it's because Jesus is that bread, isn't he? Right? Jesus is the manna. Jesus is the bread. He tells us in John 6, it wasn't Moses who did it. It was God. I'm the living bread. So we're going to get into just a reminder in point three of a reminder, but I just wanted to give you a 2.5 there. So in Deuteronomy 8, he continues saying, he let him let you go hungry because he wanted to teach you, this is what Deuteronomy 8 says, and Jesus quotes this to Satan in Matthew 4. I think we're going to look at this later. We'll see. Uh, but Jesus quotes this verse, quotes Deuteronomy 8 to Satan, and he says, I, I wanted to teach you something that there is more to life than your physical impulses and your physical desires and your physical fulfillments. The me, myself, and I, it's not that you can't eat, it's not that you can't achieve, it's not that you can't do, it's not that you can't build a build, building and people look at it and say, wow, you did a great job. God's not offended by those things. It's just that that is all secondary. Everything we do in this earth, every fulfillment that we get in this earth, is, is at, it has to bow its knee to the grand purpose of this whole thing, which is that God said, I want to have fellowship. I want to have communion with you. That is the whole purpose, and we get so skewed, and we mess it up, and we make religion, and we do all these other things, and we have to just go back to the garden and look at the grand purpose, which is that God wanted to be with us. In fact, that's what Jesus means. When Jesus was prophesied, and he was coming, and finally he's there, Emmanuel means God is with us. That was the whole purpose. And so Jesus quotes us to Satan, and here it is in Deuteronomy 8. We live by more than bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so manna, yes, it was a physical bread that they made, but there was something grander, and it was obedience. It was that, I will give you what you need. Will you come and get it? And it was to teach them that obedience to his word, to teach them you know, and in fact, many times they grumble and they complain about it, and they, they wish that they, they didn't just have this crummy, uh, pun intended, manna, crumb bread, some sort. <laughs> but I don't know why they complain. I guess maybe we had to be there to understand after 40 years. But the Bible says it tasted like honey wafers. I don't know why. I, would, I don't know how I'd get sick of that. But I wasn't there. Well, God was teaching them to rely on him, to depend on them, and, and ultimately to know that it's his word. It's obedience to his word. That's ultimately what sustains us. So the Bible's telling us that our human part that needs bread, our, our spirit man also needs to be fulfilled. It's even more important that your spirit is sustained by the word of God than your mouth being sustained by physical bread. That's ultimately its purpose. And you could look at, you could open up the whole word and really get that. And so in Deuteronomy 8, continuing on in verse 17, he says, He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved. I have done this. It's me. I, my name. I have not achieved this well. And it's not my. Everybody say, I. And my, 
right? It's not me, myself, and I. It is the Lord. We are here. Even Jesus said of himself, Jesus, the Son of God, said, I did not come to, ser- to be served, but to serve. Even Jesus said, you know what Jesus said of himself? He said he humbled himself. He put his crown down, and he became like us. So everybody goes, oh, he's Jesus. It's not fair that he was holy and that he was righteous and he did good because, you know, he's Jesus. Who has said before, well, I'm not Jesus. Anybody ever said that? Then you have to repent later, realizing. It's not that the phrase was wrong, but you know what you meant when you said it. I can be bad because I'm not Jesus. Forgive me. But you're not really saying forgive me. You're trying to give yourself a license to be evil, but that's not fair because Jesus actually said that he put that all, all of the Jesus part that we love, you know, the king part of him that's coming again, he put all that to the side and he was a human being. And so he even said, it's not me. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. And that's really our purpose as believers. When we come into to the kingdom, we're in a broken system. We are living in, in a sin filled world this is not god's believe it or not you ready the world we live in is not god's design i know i'm breaking your mind is going short fusing this is not his design we are under the power of satan's kingdom when we are unsaved when we get saved we do have a new kingdom what did jesus tell us i'm bringing a new heaven and a new earth I'm going to restore the Garden of Eden again into the earth. I'm going to bring my throne. I'm going to bring it down. I'm going to create a new Jerusalem. That day is coming. Who's thankful for that? But in the meantime, do you know what the Word actually tells us? We've been enlisted in an army. We have become, in fact, you may, your translation might say bond servants or bond slaves. We have become servants to the kingdom of God. When you get saved, it's more than just a ticket to heaven. It's more than just your salvation, more than your sin being washed away. You have actually enlisted into the service of the Lord. And now our purpose is just like what it was for Jesus, which is to influence the world around him, change that world around them. Whoever was willing received, and whoever was unwilling didn't receive. And you are to be the same, whoever is unwilling to, re- to receive what you have. You have Christ within you, and you're offering it to them. You can't worry about that. You have to give them to the Lord and pray for them. But whoever is willing, you're going to give them fully what you have been given. And so Deuteronomy 8, 17 says, speaking of what was happening here with manna, and really because we know as believers, this is what happens because Jesus was given freely, and, and so we have to come to him, we have to lay down ourselves, we humble ourselves, and we come before him, and we realize, it's, I'm, I'm not here to achieve, it's not me, it's not I, it's not my strength, it's not my energy. Who has realized you don't have enough strength or enough energy? Anybody realize that yet? You do not have strength and energy to do what God's asked you to do. You must rely on him. You know, it's honestly only when we fully submit and commit to his plan and purposes that we then we fully realize how weak we are and how much we must rely on him. But then who has found that the Lord sustains you through, through things that you thought you could never do? You're speaking to people you thought you could never speak. Words are coming up and out of your mouth that you didn't even know you had in you. Amen. 
He says, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power. Who gives us power? God does. It's not my power. It's God's power. So that's why I always say we don't deserve anything, and we really can't be proud of anything because it all comes from him. I've just been diligent to do with what he's given me. So I owe it all back to him in the end. It's him. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed your ancestors with an oath. And so uh, point number three is that all of this points to Jesus. The entire word of God from Genesis to Revelation, isn't it interesting? You can always point out a cult because they take away the deity of Jesus. If you want to point out, they call themselves Christian, and you can know it's not really Christian, even though they've got Christian in their name. Christian science is not Christian, just because it has Christian in it. And what they do is they take away the deity of Christ. He's, He's the Son of God, but he's not God. Just statements like that. He's not quite God. He was close to God, but he wasn't. He's, he's a good prophet, good man. That's Muslims. He's a prophet. Buddhism says he's a prophet. He's not God. And even modern ones, Jesus and Satan were brothers. You know, they just had, you know, they're just fighting. That's all. We'll, we'll work it out. God will work it out. Mormonism. They take away the deity of Jesus, but you know this entire thing, every single scripture you read in Old Testament and New Testament all points to Christ. So when I read about manna, see people think we can just throw the Old Testament away because we're a new covenant, that's gone away, and that's just not true. Except that I don't read it like a Jew, I read it like a believer, right? Because even the Jew has to become a Christ-believing, he might, that might be his birth, right? But he has to reject that, and he has to become what the fulfillment of what his whole life was, what his whole word was, which is just as much a believer as we are, which is it's Christ. It all points to him. John 1 tells us that the word in a human body is Jesus. And John 6 tells us that Jesus is the manna. So if we put all the pieces together, we get this. That we are humbled by God, we are made to be hungry on purpose, by design, God allows us to hunger. Now, who knows in the garden they didn't hunger? Anybody understand that? They had everything they needed. In fact, I've seen, there was a Christian scientist who tried to recreate, you know, there was like this, you know, the firmament around the earth? It was basically, there was water, you know, some sort of layer of frozen, you know, frozen or water, whatever. And, and so as science, we call them hyperbolic chambers. Who's ever heard of this? Athletes use them to like heal overnight. You know, only the rich can have these things. But, uh, but they're real. This science is real. So a scientist put like a tomato plant in, in basically a giant hyperbolic chamber, which is doubles the oxygen. And it grew like 30,000 tomatoes, like something really ridiculously stupid. Like, just crazy. And uh, he, he would theorize that the human body could run for 200 miles without getting tired. Who would love that? In fact, he even theorizes that things like snakes, because they're attracted to heat in your body, they go by, they go by heat, that, you know, like when you have a disease or a sore or a cut or something like that, what is it? It's always hotter than the rest of your body. Just a theory, just interesting to th- consider that everything that God made in the original creation was perfect, and instead of poison, right, which is from Satan, 
God made everything perfect in the beginning. He says it's perfect. If God said it was perfect, it was perfect, wasn't it? You think that a, a serpent coming and biting you with poison was God's original design of perfection? I don't think so. So something changed, right? We know that something changed. We have our Bible. So he theorizes that maybe even that was, you know, the original hypodermic needles come along. So the creature itself didn't change. It's just its purpose changed, right? But that it would come and maybe bite that spot and, and give you the medicine you needed. I mean, it's just interesting thoughts. Not that Dawn would like that, doesn't like snakes. <laughs> if it was the help you needed. Anyway, the point is that when God made us and God created, it was perfect. And so what happened is, is we get into this big mess. Adam and Eve did it. And if they didn't do it, we would have. So you cannot blame them, right? If they didn't do it, we would have by now. Who knows that each one of us in here would have been Adam and Eve by now. Eventually, we start looking at the world enough, and we take the fruit of it, and then we realize, you know, that we've messed up. One of us would have by now. One of us in this room. I'm looking around. <laughs> so we can't blame them, but what happened is, is we came into this mess. So Jesus is going to restore it ultimately back to its beginning, but in the meantime, everybody say, in the meantime, that's a word that I talk about a lot as Christians, because that's where we live in now, is we live in this place called the meantime. The meantime. <laughs> but God's a good God, isn't he? God's good in the meantime. He's good to us, but basically what's happened is, is if, if we just are born and raised in this world and in its system, the Bible says clearly, this is not me, I'm not making stuff up, not trying to create a message here or create, you know, some sort of cultish picture. The Bible says clearly that there are only two fathers. There's God the Father and there's Satan the Father. He literally calls the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says, Satan is your father and he's the father of lies. You guys are liars, he's your father. I'm not making it up, that's what Jesus said to him, right? And he when Satan tempted Jesus and said, if you'll bow down to me and you worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. I'm not, you know, whether he had the authority to do it or not, that you could argue that into the rest of time, because we don't know. But we certainly know that little G, he's the God of this world. So he probably wasn't bluffing. And in, and in, and in order to, for it to be an actual temptation that Jesus would have been tempted with, there must have been some truth to his lies. Otherwise, why would Jesus be tempted with that? And otherwise, why call it a temptation unless it was a temptation? The, the, is the Bible, you know, uh, uh, by accident? And is the Bible uh, telling us lies? No, the Bible is truth, right? It's truth. So we put these things together. What we have is that we have an enemy who loves that we fell and loves that we're trapped in sin. And because we are destined for hell. From the moment you're born, your destiny is hell. Except, everybody say except. Except that God put a major roadblock in Satan's pathway to hell. Amen. And his name is Jesus. And all we need to do is to recognize, you know what? This world is not fulfilling its satisfaction. The satisfaction is, I can't get no satisfaction. I don't even, I don't listen to that type of stuff, but the roofers the other day had WPDH on. I was on the job site, and that song came on. You know, every time I hear it, though, I know it's a worldly song, but you know what? 
even they don't even realize that they were crying out. You know, how sad, though, that they were crying out. They, you know, that we know the answer that he was looking for, right? I can't get no satisfaction because you're not. You're not going to be satisfied in this earth or by its false reliefs, its false peace, etc. And so the Lord, if we put these pieces together, has created a way. He has allowed us to recognize. See, Who's ever seen the movie The Matrix? You don't have to like sci-fi. You don't have to like the movie. But the, the point of the movie was that they were living in a dream world. It was a false world, and their eyes had to be open to the real. And we need our eyes opened. We need eyes to see and ears to hear because the Lord is trying to shake us. He wants us to recognize that the path that we're headed on is destructive. And I, I've been mentioning, I've mentioned it many times in the pulpit, but I've been mentioning it recently that churches have shied away from harsh sermons and talking about hell, and, and they get, don't want to talk about things like repentance because it's uncomfortable, but the whole purpose really to the gospel was to so that you heard, I'm in need, I'm in desperation. In fact, when somebody's a drug addict and they come to me and want to talk to me or somebody is going through something they can't help, I always tell them God's given you a gift. And they're like, what? But those that have been through it can understand what I'm saying, right? What, the gift is that you, have, you are recognizing that you are powerless and that you are desperately needy and nothing else is satisfying you. Meanwhile, the, the people in the world who have it all and everything's going great for them are just as desperately needy as you, but they don't even know it because they've been blinded by the things of this world. Jesus is our manna, and we are, our spirit man is desperately hungry for him. It is so hungry. We need to recognize the hunger within us because it's not just coming to Christ, it's not just getting saved, it's not just an altar call. Your spirit man is not satisfied with one meal in your life. Your spirit man is not satisfied with a couple of podcasts and a couple of YouTube videos. It is not satisfied with Sundays here and there. It is not satisfied. Your spirit man is desperately hungry, just as your human body is hungry every few hours, right, for another meal, our spirit is just as hungry for, the Je for Jesus that will give us that manna. Amen. Amen. And we need him every day. We need him daily. We cannot wait till tomorrow. You know, say, well, I'm going to store up. Tomorrow's busy, so I'm going to read twice as much today. <laughs> Usually for me, it's I'm reading twice as much tomorrow because I missed today. Now, listen, I'm, I'm being humble here, too. I understand. I'm, I'm human in this busy, crazy world as well, and I recognize. And then we just do what, what, what happens, though, when I, when I get to that place, I'm like, I just say, Lord, forgive me, and I know, I know I'm needy of you, and I just start right again, start fresh. I do it with the Lord all the time. I say, Lord, let's just start, let's just start back at the moment where we began. I do this all the time. I've been saved now for at least 33 years that I can remember, you know, when I said I, can, I felt him come in as a little boy. That was when I was old enough to remember, so. And many, 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 many times, probably once a day, I just say, Jesus, let's just start over. 
I just want to just, I just come back to you right now. Just, Lord, forgive me, and I love you, and I just want to know you. He's our answer. Everybody say, Jesus is the answer. Isn't it funny? You know what's funny is when I'm preaching a sermon like this, it's so basic and it's so children's church that it's like, it almost, it can almost go over our heads because it's like, oh, we know this. We know about Jesus. Tell us something else. Tell us more. Tell us things that he can do for us or give us. And that's what we like. We secretly, we don't even realize we end up craving for, we want the extra. We want to be filled with other things. But you know, it all comes back to Jesus. He is everything. He is all of that. In fact, you know, the seeking for deeper truths, actually, he warns us, it can actually get you off track. And I'll leave that there. It comes back to Jesus. It's that simple. It's supernatural manna from heaven. Jesus is our answer from heaven to our hunger. We complain to God, and God says, I've got an answer. We complain to God. God says, I I hear your complaints, and I have an answer. If you will seek me, I remember a preacher telling me, he prayed over me 25 years ago, rise my son and seek me. And I feel like so many times I come to the Lord and like, I have failed, so I have not answered that call like I should have. Even all these years later where you feel like I would have gotten it by now. Rise my son and seek me. And, I, and then each day again, I just say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek you more t- tomorrow I don't feel like I sought you like I needed to today. So tomorrow when I wake up, help me to seek you the way that I know I'm supposed to. It's not, I'm not trying to prove anything. There's nobody there in my room that I'm like checking on, you know, checking off a belt or getting on YouTube and telling everybody how many hours I pray. This is a personal thing between us and the Lord that we just, I recognize that that's what I need. And you secretly don't, you don't think, as mature Christians, you don't think you're trying to fulfill your, your satisfaction in this world, but you kind of are with all these things. And then you just come back and go, you know what? I love all these things the Lord's given me to be able to do some hobbies, things we love. I love your, your earth, how pretty it is, and all these things. And maybe you take a hike in it. And, but then even that, you're like, that's still all secondary to you yourself. That's not a replacement. Being in your earth and recognizing your God of it is, is awesome, and it's still not, that's not the satisfaction, it's just me and you. Because when all this disappears, right, that's why Paul, I mention this a lot, because Paul was in a prison cell, he had just been beaten, and he was in chains, and what did they find him doing? Worshiping God. He had no other satisfaction, nothing, nothing else was able to satisfy him in that moment except that he had already formed a relationship with Jesus within him that sustained him at that time. Amen. Who's getting anything out of this today? Is God speaking to us? Jesus is the Word, and the Word is Jesus. So sometimes people say, I want Jesus to speak to me. We'll read your Word. In fact, it's dangerous just to try to hear voices. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't speak and hasn't spoken like that. He's spoken to me like that. People don't like, oh, wait a second, what'd you just say? I feel like I have heard him speak to me, but it's always checked against his word. If it's not from his word, then it better line up with his word. You guys get that? So sometimes we're, we're like, Lord, you haven't spoken to me. And the Lord's like, well, you haven't been in my word. It's very simple. Jesus actually wants to speak to us every day. We have literally his voice. It's so big, it takes a year to get through. He has so much to say to us that 
I can't find enough time, right? After one year, this is what we do. Is we've been doing this as a church for years now. Dawn does it two or three times. Uh, no, seriously, Dawn goes through her word two or three times a year. It's not to give her brownie points, but that's what she has chosen to do, and even writing it now. But it, he's spoken so much to us that if we would give our, put ourselves into it and gather that manna, it takes a whole year to gather it up every day and do it again. So sometimes we're like, Lord, he's, I don't know where he is and where are you? Where are you, Lord? And I feel so far from you. And you know what that, you know what that always is an indication of? Get back into his word. Who has found that you get back into his word even just for one week? You just give yourself to it. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to get up. And I'm going to read his word each day for the rest of the week. Who has found after the end of that one week, one day sometimes, but at the end of that week, you're like, wow, I do recognize that you're doing something supernatural in me. For the next minutes, I'd like to kind of open that up a little bit. The word of God, the Bible, and the specific scriptures he has told us to hold on to. That's his word. When, he, when Jesus said, I live by every word that comes from the mouth of God, do you know who has had God? You are going through a situation, and you read a verse, or someone speaks a verse to you, and that's your verse for that season. Who has had that happen? See, the Bible is just a book like every other book. As a, if, when it sits on a shelf, it's just a book. People get weird about, you know, Bible touches the floor. You know, if you were to throw a Bible away, who's, who's ever been weird about throwing an old Bible away? It's not the pages. No one's, everybody's afraid to raise your hand. It's not the pages and the leather that's holy. It's the words within them. It is actually greater than that. It's Christ within the words within them. It's just a book on its own. Scholars study them in college just like other books of, of, of religion. You know that, right? You know that people literally know the Bible better than us in this room and don't believe in Jesus. There are plenty of scholars across the world that have studied it way more than we have, and they have no belief. Because they're just words until we let the Spirit of God put them inside our heart. They have to be planted deep. They're just on the surface. They're reading. Maybe those guys are studying it every day. And it's just on the surface because they've got no belief. And that's why the manna was greater than just bread. And that's why it was really believing. And that's why it was holding onto his word. Because you had to know, you know what? I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe you. Even though it doesn't make sense right now. And in fact, we have come into a time where the word of God is being challenged like never before in this nation. And it is being dissected. We're creating new Bibles that don't have anything in them anymore. We're creating Bibles that rearrange the verses so they can work with our culture and work with our modern times and try to change it to fit society. And what we're doing is actually changing its molecular structure. It is like I heard a, a Christian comedian say once, who prays over your food? Anybody here pray over your food? Well, he said, like, what do you do when you eat a Twinkie? Do you pray? Because it's an interesting thought. He's like, Lord, change its molecular structure as I eat it. Because <laughs> you're literally eating this toxic junk. Remember, we're praying for the Lord to bless us. It's funny, but you know, 
to be a Christian and to not have God's word is the same thing. As funny as that is, it's like eating Twinkies and saying, Lord, bless it to my body. Or taking the word and rearranging or just picking out the verses that are easy for us to get and the things we like and, 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 then, and then that's all we do and that's what we give ourselves and then we say, Lord, bless my body. Your spirit needs a full, balanced, a well-balanced diet of the word of God. In fact, I can prove to you that manna is timeless and it was not just Old Testament. You might say, well, manna is an Old Testament concept and Jesus replaced it and, th and that's it. And yes, he has, but you know that Jesus said, this is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, Revelation 2, 17. He's speaking to the church of Pergamum and he said, anyone with ears to hear must listen. Everybody say, listen. So we need to have ears that listen and, and listen to the Spirit and understand. So there's an ear that listens and understands what he is saying to the churches. And he says to everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. There is something supernatural that happens. This is revelation, so this is post-Old Testament, this is post the cross, this is post the Holy Spirit, this is, you know, this is for us now. And he tells us that if you will come and you will hear what I say and you will listen and you will understand that there is something supernatural, just as supernatural as it was, that I will give you, I will give you something supernatural. If you will give yourself to me, I will give you something supernatural and it will sustain you. Amen. Jesus is what we need. When we think we're okay, we think we have strength, we don't. It's only because of Christ, right? I'm strong because Christ makes me strong. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, if you think you are standing strong, who loves this verse? I say this all the time. Pride comes before the fall. I'm always very careful. If you get really proud about what you're doing, in fact, uh, let me just pause here because it's really funny. My cousin was over my house, and he was working on helping us do our ceiling tiles downstairs. And it's kind of a complex, like that takes a pro. But he had done it. He had done it in the union. It's like, no problem. I'll help you in your house. Anyway, Aaron says to him, you know, make sure you do this or that. And he goes, whoa. He goes, this isn't, he goes, this ain't my first rodeo. And out of his... He couldn't even finish the words. He's putting a tile up, and he goes, this isn't my first rodeo. Uh-oh. He made a mistake. He had cut the tile backwards. I said, you need to just sit down. Go sit down. I have a photo of him sitting in the corner. It had been a long day, and he made a mistake. You know, a, he had worked there all day. Time to sit down, because once you start doing that, you're going to keep doing it. Just, just sit down and take a break. How funny. The... That this moment you think, it says, he who thinks he stands. It says, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, if you think you are standing strong, be careful. Or you might notice, take heed lest you fall. He who thinks he stands. Pride comes before the fall. So what happens is we come to the Lord, we get saved, we read a few verses, we listen to a few Christian songs, and we must be actually more diligent then than we were before because now you have an enemy that's after you and your own 
who has who has found that happen in your life? That same type of thing, right? As soon as we boast about something, we make a mistake. I try to not boast too much. I'm always I'm always like really really careful because I know, you know, like you try to show off and right, don't show off. That's when it happens. It's when it makes YouTube videos greatest fails of the week. We really have to stay just as humble and just as desperate and just as hungry. We have Christ. We have the cross. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have iPads. We have podcasts, right? We have the Internet of unlimited resources, uh, every study, every commentator throughout history, all of it at our fingertips, all of it. We have to be so careful that it's so easy to, to actually s- to search God out and to find out what he has said, and yet it's also easier than ever to give ourselves a replacement gratification and satisfaction, isn't it? When you go clicking on the internet looking for you're like, what is that verse again? And your concordance doesn't quite get it because maybe someone has quoted it to you just a, in a translation you don't know. And so you go to Google and you're looking for it. But what happens? An ad comes up for mountain biking. Click. <laughs> Before you know it, 45 minutes has gone by. You don't even remember why you were on there looking for the scripture. We have entered into a time where it's, we have more resources and it's easier to read God's word than ever before, and yet we are also doubled down with distractions. I literally, it's one of my pet peeves, and I'm, I give it to the Lord. I, try to, I tell my kids, please don't grow up thinking your dad was a road rager, because I'm not. I really try to keep it under control, but I get so frustrated that we have to sit at every single green light, because anybody know what I'm doing right now? The light's green. Anybody know this? It's green every time. Come on, man. Don't you want to get where you need to go too? I've got places to be. I don't want to be the road rager, but come on, you're not that important. And nobody cares about that one last text. I promise you, when you get to where you're going, you can figure it out. Scrolling past one more Facebook or Twitter feed or whatever is not going to get you anything. Just go. And yet that's a metaphor for the time we've entered into history, isn't it? It's, a me- it's really a picture of where we are. We literally have our heads buried. We can't even focus on what we're trying to do. We've got one job right now. It's drive. That's your job. For the next 15 minutes, man, just drive. Just Drive. You got two people on the road. I said, I just said the other day, you got people that want to get to where they're going like they are in like insane, like they drive an F-16 fighter pilot, you know, <laughs> these guys, and they will run you off the road. Then there's, a, there's, no, there's no in between. The second category has no desire to get to where they're going. That's where we've come to. Is really... We've come into a time now where what I want to just talk about for the, just the next couple of minutes is that we need to be careful to see as Christians that God has something more for you always. 
Don't ever say I'm, I've been satisfied enough. And don't ever say I've read enough, I've studied enough, I know him well enough. Imagine you saying that to your spouse. I've brought that up before. Imagine you turn to your spouse one day and go, I think we know each other enough. We've hit the point. I know you enough. I really don't want to know any more about you. It's just too much. It's just too much. I'm filled up. I'm filled. I just feel so fulfilled. You think that you using those, those words to God, you think that that matters? I just feel fulfilled. It's not that I don't like you. It's not that I, like, I guess I would know more about you, but I just feel so fulfilled with what I know about you. Imagine saying that to your spouse. I think that God would be a little more offended than your spouse. He has more for us. There's more for us. There's more manna. He wants us to come tomorrow and the next day. And in fact, I promised that I would say also that I was warning that it's, it's just plain dangerous. Because, see, I want to say this, and I think this is probably where I'll have to wrap it up. There's a lot we could say. But I want to go to Matthew chapter 4, and I just want to look again at what happened here with Jesus and Satan. The Bible says in Matthew 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Who knows God allowed it? Everybody say God allowed it. God allowed Jesus to be tempted by the devil? Who thinks that God allows you to be tempted by the devil sometimes? No, not God. This is, this is Jesus. Doesn't count. Jesus would never do that. Doesn't tempt us. No, he doesn't tempt us. You're right. God doesn't tempt you. Satan does. Wait, say, I need to say that again. Everybody quotes, God doesn't tempt. No, that's not what the Bible says. God doesn't tempt you. Satan does. God allows it. Why? Why does God allow it? Because you think God wants you to choose Satan? No. Again, let's bring the spouse thing up. Imagine your spouse said, I love you because I have to. I have to say I love you right now, so I love you. No. God wants us to choose him and love him because he's because he's good to us and kind to us and merciful to us and loves us. And I love you, Lord, because you've been so good to me. I can't believe what you've done for me. I can't believe that you got on the cross for me. And so he allows the other, he allows the world, allows the distractions not to pull us away. That's not its purpose, although that's what it does to many, but it was so that I choose. Everybody say, so we choose. We have to make the choice to turn away from all those things that will not satisfy, and we say, I don't want that. I don't want this world. I don't want the things of this earth. I want you, God. So Jesus is tempted here, and it says, when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. And just quickly, I had pointed out this last week that Jesus was a human being. He was hungry. This was a natural impulse in his body, his, his brain and his stomach you know, they have this chemical, physical, you know, uh, nerves and everything. They're, this computer right here is saying, I'm hungry, and it wasn't lying. His stomach was been growling at that point and turning. And so he was physical, he was human. And so the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let me tell you this, and this is what I'm close with. If we are full 
on God's word, if we've been filling ourselves with his word, then when our flesh is weak, everybody, you understand this, that even though you're in God and in, your, in his word, you know your flesh will still get weak. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, can't you stay awake with me one hour? He falls asleep anyway. Jesus doesn't judge him, but he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There is a weakness to our flesh, our spirit. The whole goal is that we listen to the spirit more than the flesh. Amen. All right, we're listening to the Spirit of God more than we are the flesh. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to be fleshy. We're going to fall asleep when the Lord asks us to pray at times. And the key is the next time we keep praying. Amen. All right, so that will free us and not condemn us. But here's the point. If you do not search out the man of the Lord, Jesus said, and the, whole, the word says it, and Jesus sum, sum, sums it up, that seek me while I may, may be found. That's you know, that's the whole concept of Christ. He said, you're, you, he said you, you missed the time of your visitation. If we are not filling ourselves with the word, I promise you, Satan will fill you. The moment you get hungry and you don't have good food around, who says, well, I'm just going to take a 35-minute trip to the grocery store because that's the right thing to do. I'm going to go buy some health food, and I'm going to cook myself a really good, healthy meal. Meanwhile, you have Cinnamon Toast Crunch sitting right there on your shelf. What do you do? <laughs> what everybody else does. My intention was to eat healthy. It's just a lot easier in my weakness to eat junky. But if I had been prepared in his word, if I had been constantly prepared in his word, and it's not an afterthought, then when the time comes, I'm not going to be pulled away. I promise you this, that when Satan will come, he will come to tempt us. He will try to tempt us with the world. And if we are so in love with the Lord and so filled with his word, we have the truth of his word so bound and so intertwined within us that when they tell you a lie that that's not a human being in that woman's stomach, you are, you, your mind has literally been changed. We could get more into this another time because we just don't have the time here, but your mind has literally been changed because it's been so filled with the truth of God's word that when you hear a lie, it just bounces off. Jesus just says to Satan, not getting me today, I've got a food, he says, at the woman at the well, right, that you don't even know of to his disciples. My food comes from a deeper place. I'm, I'm sustained and I'm fulfilled with something far greater than this earth and by its poles. And what happens is many Christians across the world are living on a junk food diet or a barely diet. And so it's very easy for the devil, because we're hungry, we just, for satisfaction. And when it's presented to us, the instinct thing to do is grab it because that's quick and easy versus going and who wants to then go into your room and go pray for an hour? Who just felt a little bit, a little bit in you kind of cringed a little bit? Come on, let's be honest. You're, we're human beings. We're all here because your human flesh doesn't want to do that right now. When you want, when the devil's giving us something satisfying in this earth and the Lord says, I want you to spend an hour in my word, who finds that you feel like that's a sacrifice? Isn't that funny? It's a sacrifice to spend time with God. 
Isn't it funny? But let's just be honest, right? Let's just be real. Why lie? We're not lying to him. <laughs> he loves us so much, doesn't he? The Lord is so faithful to us. You know why the Lord speaks to us tr truth? The Lord speaks freely to us. And who wants to be lied to? It's like the doctor that's lying to you and says, well, and you're like, doctor, give it to me straight. Who wants to know the truth? Anybody here want to be sugar-coated? I don't. I want to hear the truth because I want to be on the right path. I want to get to heaven. I want to hear the Lord say this to us. Well done, good and faithful servants. Amen. We just thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. I thank you for the power of this word, and I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you, God, that even though it's becoming literally black and white, night and day, as you said it would, between the word and its truth and this world, I thank you, Lord, that as we cleave to your word, even though it is literally the polar opposite of the dictates of this earth, it's becoming so opposite to what is quote-unquote normal, we thank you, God, that you are going to sustain us by the power of your word, even if... We are literally driven out from this world and living in a wilderness. We're going to be sustained by you, Lord, because that's the true satisfaction we were searching for all along. I just thank you, God, that this word would be like good seed planted down in that dark soil, Lord. Put it down into the depths of us, Lord, and let it grow into fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.